have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. But today I'm going to say it's very important for you to have your sermon outline, because on the back of that outline is the scripture reading. Chapter 3 is quite long, and so I'm going to be reading about two-thirds of it. And uh, that, that's marked out for you in the back of the sermon outline. And my friend Ray Dillard used to call passages like this uh, sometimes spiritual somnex. What is that? The, this is where you have these long lists of names. But you know, it, it's all God's Word. And we don't deprecate any of it. It's all God's Word, and so we take it very seriously. So bear with me. Read along. See if you pick up some interesting clues. If you don't have a bulletin, put up your hand and an usher will give you one so that you can have this. So if you came in without one, uh, it'd be helpful for you to have that. All right. Nehemiah 2, 18 through 20 from last week. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, that's the people, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I answered them, the critics and mockers, by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. And now, Nehemiah 3, verse 1, Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Mehez, Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Malkaijah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pahath, Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanum and the residents of Zanoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall. That's about five football fields. As far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malkaijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kol Hosea, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden, as far as the steps going down from the city of David, 
Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of a half-district of Beth-zur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rehum, son of Bani. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repair as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants, opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner, and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. So far the reading of God's Word. How do you illustrate this? Well, I'm going to illustrate this list of names by actually summoning a couple of names up here on the platform with me for just a moment. Uh, I would like Marlene Rubino, Charlene Heinel, uh, Bill Melcher, John Morkin, uh, Tony Kunin, Karen Connolly, Elias Anchundia, Tay Cho, Maggie Laska, Rosalind Weiss, uh, Bob Young. Is Bob here? I'm not sure I saw Bob. Roger Simonson, um, Kathy Traeger, Ruth Chung. Do I see Bill Wong, Joanne Wong, right up here? A list of names. And you know, Roger just left, but Roger, I need the yellow microphone before you get here. Now, what you had were builders of the wall. Remembered by name, people who are involved in doing the work. Now, listen, many of you seated out there are building the wall, too. But I just wanted you to get this sense of this powerful, coordinated activity that the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of our church. And each one of these people has a ministry in wall building at the North Shore Community Church. Each one of them does. And what I ask them, what I'm asking them to do is to say one thing that they enjoy about their ministry in the life of the church. Now, I suspect they might have a few things that they don't enjoy about their ministry. But you're not talking about that today. You can talk about that with me in my office. But just one thing you enjoy, it doesn't have to be the most important, one thing you enjoy about your ministry here. Rosalind, one thing. I'm holding it. In real life, it's not just PowerPoint. It's cleaning the ladies' room to make sure people feel welcome. Yeah, Ross cleans the ladies' room every week. No, I, I don't enjoy cleaning the, the, the men's room at all. Um, uh, my greatest joy is when I do congregational prayer. I love praying to God uh, with the church. Thank you. Roger. I enjoy making the service sound good. That's fantastic. Elias, you lead in our prayer ministry. Yes, I lead in the prayer ministry, and it just fills me with great joy, and it gives me great joy and a privilege to pray with you as we all agree in prayer. Karen, you lead our our thrift store. My favorite thing is being able to invite the community at large to come join our family here because we are such wall builders. 
Mm. We're biblically based and we're a loving group. And this is an awesome place and I invite people all the time. That's great. Thank you. Marlene, you are in charge of setting up communion. How did, how did this, you see, all this didn't just appear here. You have a team. Yes, I do. And I enjoy setting the table for the Lord's Supper and making it as, look as well as we can for his glory. And I enjoy preparing it for the congregation so that we can take part in the sacrament. And I also enjoy the fellowship that the three of us have while we're down there preparing it. That's great. Thank you. Tony. It is my joy and privilege to lead such a dedicated group of musicians and vocalists in, in lifting his name uh, and to, to serve such a, an on-fire congregation. It's just a joy. Thank you. William. Um, on Saturdays when Pat and uh, Maggie let me work at the food bank, one of the things that I like is to see people come in um, empty-handed and then leave with uh, their hands filled with what they need. Yeah. Bag of groceries. Yep. Kathy, Sunday school teacher. Um, I just love seeing the smiles and the joy on the children's faces when they're learning about God. It's beautiful. Ruth. I just like to, um, like sharing the gospel, um, the Bible, and with the Bible study, and just seeing, like, sharing something that nobody ever thought about, a, a way of thinking differently about God in our life here on earth, serving Him. Thank you. Thank you. Bill and Joanne, you lead a home fellowship group and open your home. It, it's always so, so clean and so nice and so wonderful. <laughs> what do you enjoy about That's that? That's because you don't come during the week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I just enjoy watching new people coming into the group and uh, uh, kind of uh, building that cohesiveness and uh, seeing how everybody's able to share their concerns. And uh, we really build up a, a tight-knit fellowship in that way yeah. uh, as we get together twice a month. Thank you, Joanne. Bill? Uh, really, on that note, really enjoys watching the Word of God just come alive in people's lives. Thank you. Maggie? So many Thank ministries. You. Just one. Just food, the food pantry. Um, I have the privilege of uh, seeing God so clearly at work in there all the time. Just uh, Friday, Patricia and I were talking about how uh, our supplies were very low again. And Saturday, in walked Pack 253, the Boy Scouts, with a whole bunch of food, just, yeah. just like that. So it's just, yeah. it's just so clear. It's such a, yeah. it's just amazing that, yeah. to, to, to see him. And it's just fun interacting with those people in the community. We just yeah. have a lot of laughs every Saturday. And just one more. There's, I could go, I could keep going. But Kathy Louie, I meant to call you up. You know, Kathy is the chair of our audit committee and our, our uh, staff review committee. And there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work. What, what is something that gives you joy in your ministry? I think it's a delight to see how God blesses us financially and for me to be able to be a good steward of the resources that God has given you and in return that you've given to the church for our church building and ministry building. Yeah. So I could keep going. You all can be seated, but you've been an excellent example of illustration of people on the wall working in coordinated activity together. And there's 25 more. I just don't have the time uh, for that right now. But Nehemiah 3 is that rich catalog of people who were great and small, nobles and children, working together for something bigger than just themselves. What has happened as we are reading through Nehemiah is that the vision has been cast 
The strategic plan is in place, and our work has begun. Let's review from last week. We saw that Nehemiah is this wonderful visionary leader. And you remember, like Winston Churchill, he saw the need, the desperate need of the hour, and he identifies himself with the people. He is among the people and with the people. And then he casts a vision. He paints a picture of the future, of victory for the people, and he inspires their hearts and summons them forward with reckless abandon. Visionary leadership. And then, what we see here in, in, in this chapter, as well as back in chapter 1, there is strategic leadership, which asks the question, how are we going to get the job done? And we have a number of contractors in our church. It's one thing for them to win the bid, but then they have to figure out how they're going to do the job and project managers. And it's fascinating as you read through chapter 3, you see if you start in verse 1 and you go all the way to verse 32, that he starts off saying uh, that the work is going to be done on the sheep gate, and then he works all the way around the city and verse 32 says, and they finish up at the sheep gate. This comprehensive strategic plan is in place. And not only that, but he is strategic in, in the assignment of the gates, because each gate is important. But what he does, did you catch this? Is that he had people building the gate and rebuilding the wall in their own backyards. Now, you've got a goldsmith, what does he know about construction? You've got a Levite, a preacher, what does he know about construction? But I'll tell you this, when you're responsible to keep out the thugs and the marauders and the enemies from your backyard, and your house is the first one they're going to come to, you'll make sure you do it right. And so Nehemiah strategically places people in doing the certain jobs where they have a, an interest in making sure that it's done well. And then, of course, there is tactical leadership which is very important for the people of God. And the tactical leadership is to make sure that the job is executed with excellence, even paying attention to the small details. We have, again, we have some marvelous contractors and carpenters and, uh, and, and, uh, and really skilled journeymen in our church, and I've seen some of their work. Their attention to detail is outstanding. And there's a word that is now becoming prominent. It's the word repaired all through the chapter. They repaired. And the Hebrew word for repaired here is a very interesting one. It means um, to make firm or strong. And so the gates, did you catch this? The gates, the doors, the bars, the bolts, the roofs, the roofers, they're happy here this morning. They're, they are well done and acknowledged as well done. You have visionary leadership, you have strategic leadership, you have tactical leadership, and now the work begins, and when they get to work, and chapter 3 has all the marks of this shared enthusiasm to see the kingdom of God established, developed, protected, encouraged. One guy, you know, you have all these different kind of... Uh, People. There's family units, 
There's people by towns. There's uh, tradesmen by crafts. And uh, then there's religious leaders. And, and even one guy organizes his daughters to do the work. And yet, there's a distressing note. Did you pick that up in verse 5? And we see that the men of Tekoa are hard at work, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the task. Hmm. And Nehemiah notes it as he writes this down. What do you think's going on here? Well, this work is beneath me. I'm a noble of the town. I don't get my hands dirty. And um, Nehemiah exposes their pride and arrogance and self-importance and their own busyness that couldn't be bothered. But you know, these men of Tekoa, I like these men of Tekoa, because they not only, there's no shame for them, just their rulers, but the men of Tekoa, they build their portion of the wall, and then later on in the chapter, did you notice, it says, and they went and they rebuilt another section of the wall. And it's not all glamorous. Because what, what catches my eye in chapter 3 is verse 14. In this long list of who did what, you get to hear about the family of Malchijah. And he rebuilds the dung gate. The dung gate. There's no sewage treatment plant, friends, in 455 B.C. There's no electricity. There's no plastic uh, sanitation device. All the refuse of the city has to go somewhere. All the animal carcasses, even the dead bodies, have to go somewhere. And so, in Jerusalem, there was a gate. It was called the Dung Gate. And the porters have to carry whatever you can imagine out through that gate. And it was not pretty, and it was not pleasant, down into the valley of Hinnom, where the fire smolders. The fire smolders. Eventually, Jesus would speak of it as Gehenna. That place, the trash heap, the dung gate. But somebody has to build the dung gate. It's not glamorous. It's not convenient. But friends, in any God vision, in any God activity, yeah, there are those of us up front and those of us who get the spotlight, but there has to be, there has to be the person in the background who cleans the women's room, who comes in early on a Sunday morning and sets up the sound system, who stays late and cleans up afterward, who prepares the Bible study in the home fellowship group, who cleans their house in order to host the home fellowship group, to mobilize and organize. And, and it's not always convenient. And it's not always glamorous. But for God's work to be done, somebody has to build the dung gate. Have I learned to pray? Have you learned to pray? Lord, help me to be a servant. Make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, I'm even available to clean the dung gate, to manage and to build the dung gate, if that's what you want, for your glory. 
Now, as I read through this chapter, I love all these wonderful names. And this takes us to point two. You have Eliashub, Zakur, Zadok, Shalom, and the daughters of Shalom. You have Merimoth. And I love all these names. Why are they recorded in the Bible? Why do we have in the book of Chronicles several chapters just of names? What's so significant? Why would the Holy Spirit inspire names to be recorded and written down in the Bible? Well, first of all, it tells us something about Nehemiah. It tells us that Nehemiah really was a good leader. He knew the names of his people and he writes them down and he does commend them for their work. And that's, he's a good leader. But this is more than just common courtesy. This is more than just good leadership. There's something deeper, very profound at work whenever you come across lists of names in the Bible. We sing a song in this church. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls. And He hears me when I call. This, my friends, is the gospel, the recording of the name of God's precious child is the gospel of adoption. It is the gospel of someone who was unknown and outside, who is adopted and brought in and is given the name of Jesus, is given, their name is recorded and Jesus' love is put on them. My friends, you have to understand this. To be named is to be owned. To be named by God is to be claimed by God. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers. Jesus brings us into his family. He gives us his name. Our name is known to him. This is the gospel. Redemption, you see, is particular. It's not just general out there. Redemption is personal. It's personal with God. It's personal with God. He is for you. He set His love upon you. He remembers your name and you never have to say to God when you show up in prayer, oh, and remember me? The gospel of Jesus Christ is that He will always remember you. The Bible is filled with a list of names because everyone is an eternal soul precious to God. Now the question for you is, is my name written in his book? Did you know there's a book? We're told about it in the book of Revelation. In Revelation uh, chapter 20, we read about the book of life, verse 15, and there's, there's, there's both something very positive and something very disturbing. Revelation 20 verse 15, listen to this. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so, your name, does God have your name written in the book of life? If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you have claimed Him and know Him as your Lord and your Savior, then your name is written in the book of life. And even more interesting, I find this wonderful, 
is that if you're a Christian, not only is your name written there, but we are told in Revelation 22, verse 4, the last chapter of the Bible, that his name is actually written on your forehead. And his name is given to you. That is astounding. The name of Christ. You see it also in chapter 14 of Revelation with 144,000 that represents the church of Christ through the ages. His name written on your forehead. He knows your name. He gives you His name. And if your name is in the book of life, now we come back to chapter 3 of Nehemiah. You also have to ask, is your name written into the narrative of the church? Is your name written into the narrative of the North Shore Community Church? And I trust that it is. It's not just filling out the contact card on Sunday morning. We really want you to do that. But what is written next to your name? Your name is listed and you are a part of the Families with Young Children's Fellowship. Your name is written and next to it is engaged with the youth group, teaching the Sunday school, attending the Sunday school, singing in God's worship and lifting your voice, your name is written there. Tithing, giving generously of what you have. You're lowering your, he lowered his standard of living in order to fund the affairs of the church. Oh, your name is written, but is it written into the narrative? Served next to her name, served the little one in the nursery. I was thinking about this. Your name is written. We have this thing on Friday nights, you know, and it is fantastic. Our time together on Friday nights is fantastic. But one person volunteered to manage the nursery on Friday nights. They don't get to go to the class. They got to get to change a diaper. Linda Rosero said she called in advance, a couple months in advance. You know, when Explorations comes, I pastor, I'll do the nursery so that the mothers and the fathers can go and learn. Isn't that beautiful? So what's written next to her name in the narrative of the church? Oh, change diapers on Friday nights during Explorations. The narrative. Is your name written in the narrative? So, point number three, what is your part in every member ministry in our church? Because the division of labor here prefigures the cooperation in the body of Christ. Elias read for us about the body of Christ in our scripture reading. And you have this missional community working and serving in cooperation together. This is one of the core values of our church. We call it it's memorable, every member ministry. That's what we read in Romans 12. Listen to this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. <laughs> Those are the rulers of Tekoa, right? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same functions, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts 
according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with, the, with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The church is not a bus. The church is a body. The church is not a bus, you know. you got the pastor and he's the driver and you just kind of get on and sit on the bus and you just sort of go where he, he drives the bus. And maybe you have some elders who snuck in and got some brake pedals to put brakes on things, you know. And, and, uh, and maybe a Sunday school teacher will shout out, maybe we should turn right. No, the church is not a bus. The church is a body, coordinated, working together, functioning for the glory of Christ. Whatever your gift package, whatever your station in life, you are indispensable to the body of Christ. You are, whatever age you are, indispensable. Some people say, well, the senior citizens, they're too old. To make a difference. They already put in their time. Will you say that to Gil and Jane Colombo, who visit every visitor to our church and take them banana bread and a mug? You say that to Ann and Lou Farrow. You say that to Marlene Rubino. You watch out. Or you say, you say, well, these young families, these young families, they got little kids, they got bedtimes, they 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 they're too busy to part partner in the church. Yeah, well, tell that to the Connollys. And to the Louis, to the Hans. Oh, well, there's some of those people, they just live too far away because we're a regional church. Yeah? Yeah, well, tell that to Christine Hackett and Roger Simonson who drive in from, from Smithtown and beyond and to Tony Cunin who packs up his family in Manhattan every Sunday morning to be here at 8.30. We are a body functioning together. Each part does its part. I know how busy you are, and I know how stressed your life is. I know. And I'm not asking you to do everything in the church. I'm asking you to do your part in building the walls. What is your part, your gift package, your servant profile? What is it? Where's the best fit? For you. Jim Westbrook and I, we love to help people discover their spiritual gifts and uh, give attention to their passions and then understand how God wired them. And when you align the spiritual gifts and the personal passions and then the personal style of each person, you get their servant profile and then you align that with the job that needs to be done on the wall. And if you, don't, if you haven't identified that, then let me take you to lunch. Let's talk about those things. Nehemiah had a laser beam vision. He said, we together are going to build that wall. And I tell you today, we together are going to build this church. That's the will of Christ. We're going to do this. Is your name written in the book of life? 
I pray that it is. That is salvation. Is your name written in the book of life? Are you on the rolls of the church of Christ? I pray that you are. And if you are, then your name will also be written into the narrative of the building of the church. Ephesians 2, 20 and 22. We conclude with this. That the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building, there it is, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by His Spirit. Let's build the walls together. We, whose names are written in the book of life, let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Our Father, we ask you to show us what section of the wall you want us to stand on. And our Father, we ask you to bless us by making sure that our names are written in the book of life. And if you're here today and you've never said, you know, I really do want my name in the book of life. I want to confess Christ as my Lord and Savior. Today is the day for you to do that. To humble yourself. To say, my life is yours, O Lord. We give you our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.